And I just want to share with you this morning that everything that Jesus did, his coming into the earth, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that was all for you. There's an old song, I, I love it, and it's Southern Gospel, and we don't use that much around here, but if you're, the Bible, the, the song says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He looked down through the annals of time, and he saw you, and he saw me, and he saw this day. So I want to just read some scriptures to you. And I really want to talk to you about how much he loves you. Listen, if you're here today and you've never met Jesus or, or you're in a circumstance where your heart is, is perhaps far from him uh, in some way, you're fine, you're fine. Everybody loves LaTanya, we'll forgive her. Jesus is calling to say happy Easter. <laughs> it's all good, huh? It's all good. I just want to tell you how much he loves you. And everything about this day is about love. Scripture tells us that God is love. It's one thing that, you know, there's various things that are, are that, that make up the character of God. His justice and his strength and his righteousness and his holiness and his judgments and all of those things make up the character of God. But love defines him. Love defines him. And I want you to understand today, if you walk away with nothing else from this moment that we have, these moments that we have together, love defines him in your behalf. So look, 1 Corinthians 11 and 8, 1, 18, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. People who don't know Jesus just don't get that, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And the understanding that Jesus came to the, to the intent that the cross would be his placement at the end of his days on earth that he would go to that cross and the cross to the world around you and, and to someone who does not know God is foolishness. It makes no sense whatsoever to those who are perishing, to those who do not know God and to those to whom that truth has not yet been revealed. It seems so foolish to the world around us. What is this thing about the cross? What is this thing about the blood? What are those Christians always talking about? The blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and, and, and the, the, the lamb that gave his, shed his blood for sin. The, the message of the cross is, is just foolishness to the world. 
It makes no sense. But to us who are being saved, I love that terminology there because that explains to you and I that this is not just an event, but it's a process in the course of our life. To those of us who are being saved, we've said yes to Jesus and we're on the way to that the fullness of what salvation and redemption looks like in, in our eternity and in our life. To those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Wait a minute. The cross is foolishness to the world, but in the mind of God, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The wisdom of this world, the scripture says, is just foolishness to God. So he takes our earthly wisdom and through the cross he destroys it. Brings to nothing the understanding of the prudent, of the studied. Just brings it to nothing. It shatters human understanding. The cross. But let's talk about why the cross. I love this passage of scripture and I do um, memorial services for a local funeral company when they don't have a pastor available to them. And Sorry, I'm really dry today. When they don't have a pastor available to them and I always share with them this passage and it bears repeating today. Those of you who've walked with the Lord a long time, you know this passage. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved, there's that word again, the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him Whosoever receives him by faith simply believes, only believe. Whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But you need to embrace this next portion. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. To pick you apart, to tear you down. God did not send his son into the world to bring condemnation to you. I mean, y'all feel bad enough already. You don't need somebody to. But that the world through him might be saved, very simply. I often remind you that God is not like, well, Leroy's not here, so I'll pick on librarians. With a no, he's online. I love you, Leroy. With the nose, with their glasses pulled down on their nose, peering down at you in judgment and in frustration because you got too loud in the library. It's not God. So God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
So I just want to challenge you this morning. Those of you who know Jesus, these passages of Scripture are an affirmation to you. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, or you know him, but you are far off from him, these passages of Scripture today are the great invitation. This is, as, as one writer put it, the greatest story ever told. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened. Every one of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lay down your yoke and take mine. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Revelation 22 and 17 says that there's this, there's this invitation from the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of the Lord brooding over the earth. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let all who are thirsty, all who hear him say, come. All who are thirsty, come. Whosoever desires, that's always a puzzling word to me because there are some who won't. But whosoever wills, whosoever desires, there is an open door for you to come simply out of that desire to know him, receive that, respond to it in faith, and say yes to Jesus. And you will experience his love. So whosoever desires, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Psalm 103 says this, that from everlasting to everlasting are those who fear him. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Sorry. In his righteousness, with their children's children. Listen. Scripture says, In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 and 19, I, I just adore this passage. All things are of God who has reconciled us, reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. You've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ and you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given the art of restoring the broken. You've been given the blessing of lifting up the downcast. You've been given the strength of God to, uh, to build up those who are laid waste in life. Listen to what it says. Verse 19, that is God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world to himself. Imagine this, that through the work of Christ, everything that he did from the moment that he began to realize who he was in the earth and what his assignment was in the earth and all the way back to his birth in the manger, all the way through the death, the burial, the resurrection, God was in Christ reconciling you to him. Not imputing their trespasses to them. Not holding their foolishness against them. <laughs> so many of us are saying, thank God. You ought, to, you ought to underline that. You ought to highlight that in your Bible. If your Bible's too holy to write in, put that one on the shelf and go get one that you can highlight in. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to them. See, God didn't just reconcile you. He committed to you the word of reconciliation. So he's reconciled you to himself, and then he put this word in your mouth, be reconciled to God. John the Baptist preaching in the Wilderness, his whole message, prepare the way of the Lord. Be reconciled to God. He's waiting for you. Come, come, come. In all of those days past in Old Testament, they'd never heard that. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Come, just come, just come. You know why? When that veil was torn. And suddenly, the broken and the maimed and the weary and the hurting could go into the presence of God for the first time ever. The message just simply became, whosoever will may come. I will. Will you? The apostle said there were days he had to make that decision daily. Will you? So we're going to receive the Lord's table together. Go ahead. And you received communion elements as you came in and if you didn't get one of these if you'll just lift up your hands the ushers are looking for you right now and they'll bring them to you he's coming please after we move Past this moment and the prayer teams come, you'll have an opportunity to come and tell them that you need to receive Jesus. You need to draw closer to him. So the ushers have made sure that everybody has been served. Listen to this. I'm going to read this passage to you. There's one, just one thing I want to share with you from here. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, the apostle starts talking about this experience that he did not have. But he had prayed and communed with God about that Last Supper experience, that great picture you see of Jesus around the table with his disciples when he first introduced to them the idea of communion. And he said this to us. The apostle said, I received from the Lord and I also pass it on to you that on the day or on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Never forget. And really, for believers, I say this often. Every time you eat bread, it ought to pull your mind back to Jesus and the work of the cross the tomb, the resurrection. And then he, in the same way, the Bible says, took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant. Get this, I want you to picture this. They broke bread and they ate their whole meal, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then they continued eating and scratching their head and trying to figure out what he meant. And then after they'd all eaten together and they're going to relax now and have refreshment, he says, here's my cup, this cup. He's back on that subject again as the New Testament of my blood. Every time you drink it, every time you lift the cup, remember me. Every time you lift the cup, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. And I have meditated on this particular passage of scripture my entire life because we used to be so fearful at communion. I want to correct that for you. Do this in remembrance of me in verse 26 says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You are making a proclamation of the Lord's death until he comes. You're reminding yourself and you're reminding others. Now listen to this. So whoever then eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. When I was growing up, they used to preach that. Get yourself right with God right now. Make sure there's nothing out of order. And I'm sure all of that's appropriate in some level. But that's not what this says. It says everyone should examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the Lord's body eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. What is he saying? Everyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup in a presumptuous manner, not discerning the body of Christ, 
Not discerning that Jesus is enough. Not discerning that the work of the cross is enough. Not discerning that the brokenness of his body is enough. Not discerning that the the blood that was shed is enough. So when a person sits in this moment and goes, oh, that's just juice and that's just a little wafer and it's just foolishness. doesn't discern the value of the gift of the cross and the shedding of the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ receives in an unworthy fashion. So before we receive this morning, I just want you to say, Lord, I thank you for the cross. Just take a minute and say, Lord, I thank you for your body which was broken for me. Lord, I thank you for the blood that was shed for me. Lord, I thank you for the work of the cross that redeemed me in all my foolishness. I thank you for the blessed work of the cross. I thank you for the blood. I thank you for the the work of your love toward me that drove you to the cross. I thank you for the prayer you prayed. If it be thy will, Father, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, I discern that your body and your blood is enough. To take us through these moments wherein we stand. Jesus and nothing else. Jesus is enough. So Lord, though it's a small portion, in all simplicity, take that little wafer. We don't do it presumptuously. We break it. And we receive it in the name of Jesus and in the remembrance of him. Receive that together. And then, Lord, we take that seemingly silly little cup. There's not enough juice in there to drown a flea. But one drop of your blood was enough to redeem us. One drop of your blood was enough to wash away our sin. One drop of your blood was enough to call us back to you. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One drop. There's more than one drop in that cup. So in the name and in the remembrance of Jesus, we receive together. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to stand together.
Let's just spend a few minutes thanking Jesus. You can sing, Rachel, if you would like. we praise you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, every time Easter comes, we have hope refreshed in us. We have the promise refreshed in us. Oh, we praise you, Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. Oh, God of glory and majesty. Praise forever to the King of kings.